I'm Dr. Nathaniel Chin, and you're listening to Dementia Matters, a podcast about Alzheimer's disease. Dementia Matters is a production of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Our goal is to educate listeners on the latest news in Alzheimer's disease research and caregiver strategies. Thanks for joining us. My guest today is Dr. Leonardo Iaccarino, a neuroscientist and assistant professional researcher at the University of California, San Francisco Memory and Aging Center. Dr. Iaccarino was first author on a recent study published in November of 2020 in JAMA Neurology that found an association between air pollution and Alzheimer's disease-related brain changes. Dr. Iaccarino, thank you for taking some time to join me on Dementia Matters. Uh, Hi, Nate, and thank you really for having me here. Uh, It's really an honor. I'm super excited about this. Well, great. So then we'll just jump right into it. And so before we talk about your actual research, tell our audience how you got involved in neuroscience and what sparked your interest in studying Alzheimer's disease and and air pollution. So, well, I originally trained as a psychology um, undergrad in Naples, Italy, where I was uh, born and raised. And really into that, I really very soon felt like neuroscience and actually particularly clinical neuroscience was my calling. And this really led me to a journey to first Milan in Italy and then to San Francisco, where I am now uh, for the last three years. And I've been working since in, um, you know, on neuroimaging techniques and biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease. And really air pollution actually was a more recent interest for me. Um, About halfway into my postdoc, um, I started to, um, you know, being more and more interested in these modifiable risk factors. And air pollution really struck me as something that is interesting, is important for public health, and um, is something that we can act on in terms of policies. Um, and, you know, the interest was also related to uh, our access to a very important database, which is the IDEAS study database. And this is the database that I used and we used to, for my study on German neurology. And so a growing body of evidence shows air pollution can be added to the list of risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. So tell us about your research and why it's so pivotal. And this is the one, again, that was published in November of 2020 in JAMA Neurology. Yeah, so, you know, there's been uh, more and more evidence uh, that exposure to different types of pollutants, airborne pollutants, uh, is associated with a number of poor brain health outcomes. And this include increased incidence of dementia, accelerated cognitive decline, and so on. And really the leading hypothesis is that these brain health outcomes are associated or let's say mediated by actually cardiovascular and respiratory conditions uh, that are really strongly associated and triggered by exposure to air pollution. Um, However, our study kind of provides some evidence that Uh, even if these mechanisms are important, actually exposure to air pollution may contribute to brain health outcomes also through other pathways and mechanisms, uh, and in particular, perhaps contributing to the accumulation of this brain pathology, which is amyloid plaques pathology. Um, And so this is the idea, essentially, that kind of uh, our study was uh, aiming at and provide an alternative um, for an alternative theory behind the poor brain health outcomes associated with air pollution. Uh, Really, the take-home from our study is that if you keep a number uh, of medical, clinical, family history characteristics that we included in our models, um, 
constant. So, you know, persons with individuals with exactly the same characteristics, but these individuals would be living in different areas in the US with different pollution levels. They would actually have a different probability of having this buildup of amyloid in their brains. And this is really the take home of the study. And it's such an important take home. But I also want our audience to understand what you meant by, you know, such a rich and important data set. And so you mentioned the idea study. Can you explain to us what the idea study is, was, and and what you looked at specifically within that study? Yes. So the idea study, actually, so idea stands for the Imaging Dementia Evidence for Amyloid Scanning Study, uh, was a countrywide study led by uh, my PI, Gil Rabinovich, uh, in the U.S. and was uh, enrolled actually more than 18,000 older um, U.S. individuals with cognitive impairment either a mild cognitive impairment or dementia, meeting appropriate use criteria for amulet PET. And the primary aim of this study was to assess the impact of amulet PET results um, on patients' management and care. So what we did uh, for this study on associations of air pollution was essentially accessing the data um, originally collected in the IDEAS study and then using the patient's residence zip codes to sort of merge the data acquired in the IDEA study with the EPA air, air quality data and, you know, test our hypothesis. And fortunately, there are participants from all across the country in the IDEA study. Is that right? Yes, they uh, actually, the you know, the density, let's, let's say the geographical distribution of individuals in the IDEA study largely reflect the population density uh, in the U.S. So that is also very important. Actually, this is a very important point is that, you know, the IDS population, first, it's a very large, it's a uniquely large cohort to study such an association. And second, it's really geograph- geographically uh, dispersed in the U.S., which allows to, for us at least, allows to look at the entire range of um, PN2.5 and ground-level ozone concentrations in the U.S. And in your study, you talk about air pollution. So what kinds of air pollution are you referring to? So we, uh, we consider two different pollutants, uh, either particulate matter 2.5 and or ground level ozone. So as for particulate matter 2.5, this is, you know, particulate matter itself is a mixture of solid and, dro- uh, and liquid droplets, and these are suspended in the air, and so they can be inhaled. Um, and depending on their size, they may have different effects um, on, on our health after being inhaled. So when you see like PN 2.5, this really refers to concentration of particles that have a 2.5 micrometer diameter or less. And, you know, just to give you an idea of this size, so the largest PN 2.5 particle is about 30 times thinner than an average human hair. So really the idea is that these particles are so small and when they are inhaled, they can deposit in different places in your airways and they can also even enter your bloodstream. Um, or reach the central nervous system. So PN2.5 is one of the most studied pollutants because it seems to be particularly bad for us when inhaled. Um, and the other um, pollutant we looked at was the ground-level ozone, which you know is a gas and um, can be um, also has been associated also with um, poor brain health outcomes. Sorry, poor brain health outcomes. Uh, in our study, however, as you know, um, the we only found an association with PM two point five. And so, what kinds of things can can generate PM? These particulate matter two point five microns or less. 
Yeah, so, um, so first of all, PN2.5 can be also naturally present in the aerosol. You know, it can be associated with, for instance, sea salt, uh, dust, um, but then can also be secondary, let's say, so can actually be produced um, in different ways, also by human-made activity, of course. And actually, in, you know, in the cities, um, on like very densely populated areas, um, most of the PN2.5 is actually uh, secondary. And, you know, PN2.5 can be either directly emitted, so can be actually emitted directly from um, activities like constructions or can also be produced by natural events like wildfires, for instance, in California, where we are very worried about this, uh, or can actually result from chemical processes actually happening in the air. So other particles and gases can react together and sort of clump together and kind of result in these particles. And for those in more densely populated areas, uh, do cars, for instance, generate particulate matter 2.5 or being near a factory? Are, are those potential sources? Yes. So emissions, uh, this type of emissions uh, can be definitely associated uh, with the, uh, you know, ultimately with the concentration of PM2.5 in a given area. So, yes. And so how does air pollution increase the risk for Alzheimer's disease? Or, or how, why do you think there was this increased biomarker of amyloid in, in people with this, this risk? Yeah, so this is an excellent question. So, you know, it's also uh, one of the um, in part, you know, an aspect of this study that we have been thinking about a lot, uh, about the interpretation of the findings. The leading hypothesis, and you know, so we are the we are not the first ones to show such an association. Uh, there have been previous studies, also in animal models and you know, in cellular studies, actually showing very similar findings. But we kind of take this concept and we tested this hypothesis on a very large human population in vivo. And you know, the the leading hypothesis is that anyway inhaling these particles and breathing them in somehow triggers an, uh, an inflammation response, a systemic inflammation response. And this inflammation response can you know, also result in inflammatory responses in our brain that in turn may lead to accumulation of amyloid plaques. The idea really is that we have a physiological a system to sort of clear up amyloid plaques um, or clear up amyloid. Um, and also we have a physiological system that's kind of taking... Have uh, under control the production of amyloid peptides and proteins. Um, the idea is that when we have these inflammatory responses, um, when these inflammatory responses become chronic, these physiological systems are altered, can be impaired. Um, and this is one of the hypotheses um, behind the association between exposure to air pollution and in, yes, increase of amyloid pathology that we have observed. And do you see a dose-dependent relationship? And for our audience members, what I mean is that if you are exposed to PM 2.5 um, more intensely than others, meaning it's more dense in your city, or if you're if you're seeing it over years instead of just a year, do you see that there's an inc a further increased risk? Uh, this is another excellent question, Nate. So in our study, uh, we did not really have access to um, let's say, this type of information. Uh, I think the leading hypothesis is that uh, we, are, we should be worried about chronic exposure to even like, you know, not particularly high concentrations, but still like chronic and long-term long exposure um, to uh, these pollutants, 
not really like single events, for instance, even if I think we should be worried about that as well. Um, but in terms of brain health, seems like this long-term chronic exposure is what we should be uh, particularly wary of. And you did not find that relationship with ground-level ozone and then this amyloid in the brain. So what does that finding mean for, for us, for, for the non-neuroscientists? So, uh, yeah, definitely. We, uh, on, on one end, you know, we kind of uh, liked that there was a specificity, let's say, associated with the association with pollutants in our study, meaning that, you know, we found something for PN2.5 and not really for ozone, saying that, you know, we were looking at a, at a specific, probably, uh, mechanism, um, rather, like, less likely to be non-specific. And as for the ozone, one thing, actually, that I want to bring up also for PN2.5 is that in the last years, the air quality in the U.S. has improved a lot. Um, so, you know, in the study, we looked at the two different biennials, um, as like biennia, as time windows. Uh, one was in 2002, 2003, and then a more recent biennium, 2015 to 2016. And really, in this 14 years sort of range, the air quality has improved a lot for PM 2.5. Uh, and also ozone uh, has not changed a lot, but the levels are not uh, worrying. And really, we could not find an association uh, with ozone. And compared to literature, um, you know, when we when actually you can see these results, these findings, for instance, between exposure to ground level ozone and increased uh, incidence of dementia, uh, usually these are done in places or areas that have a much higher concentration of ozone. So our take on this is that um, you know maybe the levels we have in, we have observed in our study were not um, high enough. Or perhaps, you know, being ozone a different, um, a different pollutant compared to PN2.5 with different chemical and physical properties, um, the effect of ozone may be associated with another type uh, uh, of, you know, brain health outcome that was not uh, found or observed in our study. And also maybe in different populations, you know, we have uh, looked at a population that is very specific, that is older individuals that are already cognitively impaired. So either in a mild stage or, a, or in a more advanced clinical stage. But we had not quite normal subjects in our cohort. So maybe, you know, looking at different populations may also provide um, further insight on this, let's say, um, difference between the associations of PN2.5 and ozone. Well, it's good news to hear that our air quality has gone up um, over the past few years and more recently. Um, Another thing about your study that I appreciated is that you had the control for a lot of other factors when doing your analysis. So things like medical conditions, lifestyle behaviors, and socioeconomic level. You even looked to see if gender had a role in your findings, and it seemed like the answer was no. I'm wondering if you were able to look at the APOE4 genetic risk. Um, were certain people at higher risk of, of having this effect from air pollution versus others? Um, yeah, we controlled for um, a lot of other factors, as you are mentioning, and this was also to kind of try to be as specific as possible in our um, statistical testing to, you know, understand whether there was an association between pollutants, exposure to pollutants, and likelihood of being a positive, of having a positive amulet PET scan, controlling for these other factors that we and we know are associated with either the amyloid PET positivity or also with actual exposure to air pollution, like, for instance, cardiovascular and respiratory comorbidities. Uh, yes, we indeed looked also for uh, if gender had a role. And this is because in some of the literature has been shown that there could be actually a role of gender in how you are vulnerable 
um, to exposure to air pollution, but we really could not see um, that in our study, in our data. And you're absolutely um, right, thinking of APOE genetic risk. We unlikely did not have access to APOE um, info for the participants included in our study. That would have been absolutely important and interesting. There is already evidence that, you know, if you are a carrier on the APOE E4 allele, you may be more vulnerable to um, to exposure to air pollution. So that would have been very interesting. And then taking what you found and trying to apply it uh, to our listeners, to, to the U.S. population in particular, and there's an estimated 5.8 million people, 65 and older, that have Alzheimer's disease. So when we look at that, this may mean that tens of thousands of cases of those with Alzheimer's could be partly at least attributed to air pollution. So knowing this and keeping this in mind, and not that I'm, I'm trying to rouse fear, but what should people do with the information that you have now found? Yeah, um, this is also an excellent uh, question. Let me first maybe clarify, Nate, that what I'm thinking is that our study does not uh, really demonstrate that air exposure to air pollution is like a cause of Alzheimer's disease. We show that it is associated with, let's say, an increased likelihood of having this specific pathology in the brain, which itself is you know, a risk, fa risk factor uh, for developing uh, Alzheimer's disease dementia in your lifetime. So even having a positive amyloid PET scan does not really say that you have Alzheimer's disease itself or that you will have dementia in your life. There are also individuals with, that are perfectly kind of normal who actually have an amyloid positive PET scan. The way we have to think about this is that it actually just increases the risk that you may have in your lifetime. Uh, you may end up developing Alzheimer's disease dementia, but it's not you know like a cause of it. And we can definitely... Uh, I mean, air pollution is not a cause uh, of Alzheimer's disease. It is indeed looks like it's uh, one of the possible risk factors, so like contributing to the risk overall. And what should we do um, with this information? Well, you know, I think we can be more mindful of our exposure um, to air pollution. We can do actually, you know, like very con like actions, concrete actions uh, we can take to limit our exposure. We can be we can check, for instance, uh, how is the air quality in our area. We can take actions like even wearing a mask. You know, it's something that uh, we used to do also before the pandemic, but during the wildfires uh, to limit your uh, breathing in these particles that are suspended in the air. Um, so, you know, it's something that we should think of uh, just in, um, in our lives, I think. Such an important clarification, and thank you for making that. Uh, and also a very interesting point about wearing face masks prior to our pandemic. Um, and, and thinking about how people should really consider their risk and, and make informed decisions, is there a way for a person to know what their own neighborhood value is of this um, PM 2.5? Or is this only something that researchers and scientists have access to? Um, well, for the so the data we used in our study are like specific sort of more um, complicated data to deal with, uh, published by the EPA. Uh, but actually, uh, there are also way more approachable uh, data on our air quality in your neighborhood. And yes, you can actually there are like a lot of resources to check your own air quality. For instance, there is the Air Now uh, website, which is a government U.S. government website where you can literally just enter your zip code, your resident zip code, or I mean, any zip code, then you will have 
uh, and instantly I could test the air quality with a number of different parameters associated with it. So it actually is pretty straightforward. Well, that's great to know and, and, and good for our audience to know that they actually could take a look uh, in their own neighborhood. You know, I also think of your your findings as potentially something that may have an impact on policy. Do, do you see some sort of future conversation about potential system changes and not just individual ones? Um, well, yes, this is actually uh, our conclusion in the studies that, um, you know, uh, policymakers should consider these findings and not uh, really not only our study, like in the, in the same months, there was also another study uh, providing complementary um, findings and, you know, very convergent findings. And I think now there is a very uh, coherent story uh, coming up from literature. And yes, I think policymakers should consider this because as also this other study I was mentioning, we do see these associations even you know in ranges of ranges of values that are considered normal or like not um, problematic. Let's say considering the uh, the standard, the current standard. And so you know, like even uh, trying to lower the standard more, uh, or thinking of other uh, actions at the policy level to um, you know increase the air quality. I think they can go. They could go a long way. And do you believe there might be other environmental factors that could be these these modifiable risk factors, such as water quality or sound pollution you hear about, or even things like pesticides, herbicides? Um, definitely, uh, I think there is evidence for all the ones, uh, all the factors you have listed, and you know, usually with air pollution, uh, you also um, think of environmental noise. It's another. Um, a factor that has been determinant or factor that has been now uh, been like it's being now more and more studied, and all these uh, elements together they sort of uh, go to this larger um, umbrella uh, category, which is these social determinants of health, and these are now becoming more and more important, and I think they deserve a lot of attention in by future studies. And I'm so glad you're working on this because there is such a great overlap here between these social determinants and Alzheimer's disease and the environment. Um, and so I look forward to more uh, of your studies coming out. But I always like to end an interview with a more personal question. And so what do you do in your own life to reduce your risk for Alzheimer's disease? Yes, so this, this can be a difficult question, I guess. Uh, well, you know, I'm, uh, I've been taking some actions. Um, in general, the way I approach this is that really anything you can think of that is associated with your general health is actually also associated and is very likely to be also a modifiable risk factor for Alzheimer's disease or dementia. And this includes, you know, like looking at your blood pressure, having like your physical exercise. Uh, one other important aspect that we, you know, has been becoming more and more important is also watching your sleep quality. All these uh, elements that actually just, you know, contribute to our general health in the long run have been associated uh, with Alzheimer's disease. So right now, personally, I'm working on my physical exercise <laughs> and, um, you know, other lifestyle changes that, so I'm not a smoker, but smoking would be another important element to think of. Uh, these are the steps that we can take. I'm like slowly, maybe perhaps a bit lazy in a lazy way, but I'm trying to take action myself. <laughs> well, thank you for being honest and, and yes. answering that question. Uh, I, and again, like to thank you for being on Dementia Matters. And I hope to have you back when you have more results. Thanks, Nate. This was awesome. Thanks. Please subscribe to Dementia Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate us on your favorite podcast app. 
It helps other people find our show and lets us know how we're doing. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research Education and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Rebecca Wazaleski and edited by Bashir Adin. Our musical jingle is Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. That's adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.